Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. In our podcast series, we are going to discuss a range of topics affecting police officers and anyone involved in the criminal justice system. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com. Conducted energy devices, also known as tasers, are one of a number of tactical options available to police officers when dealing with an incident with the potential for conflict. The College of Policing describes it as a less lethal weapon designed to temporarily incapacitate a subject through use of an electrical current which temporarily interferes with the body's neuromuscular system and produces a sensation of intense pain. I'm Daniel Burke from 3D Solicitors. I'm delighted to be joined for our latest plot episode by Tom Crowther, Queen's Counsel from Sergeants in Chambers. Now, Tom, I and perhaps you have never been hit with a taser. No. I imagine it isn't fun. The College of Policing Guidance describes the effects as things like not being able to control posture, experiencing legs going rigid, convulsing, curling up in a ball, spasm, stiffening, experience of intense pain, making involuntary vocal noises, being confused or disorientated after the cycle. I mean, it sounds rather like the Crucio spell in Harry Potter. So serious consideration must be given when these are deployed. There's been a recent case about the importance of caution in use, which has just been heard by the High Court. Yes, and that's Gilchrist. Gilchrist and the Chief Constable of Manchester, case involving use of both CS and then taser and multiple taser hits. The case was claim in trespass. Claim was in trespass to the person and in negligence against GMP. And the incident occurred in the early hours of 6th of June 2014. The claimant was Michael Gilchrist. He was 54 at the date of the incident. He was a man with significant learning difficulties. He'd been diagnosed as suffering from autistic spectrum disorder and bipolar disorder. Despite those health difficulties, he was a man who at the time lived alone with support from family members who lived nearby. He was described as being an active and sociable member of the community who worked as a gardener four days a week. Following the, this incident, his life was transformed, was the essence of the, the case. Now, although he'd suffered an incident of behaving in a hostile and violent way almost 20 years before, there was no recent history uh, on part of Mr Gilchrist of any such behaviour between then and the 6th of June, nor was there any trigger identifiable for what happened on the day. But he came to the attention of the police following a report from a member of the public at about five to six in the morning. That member of the public had heard glass smashing and then saw a man, who was Mr Gilchrist, in the street, dressed only in trousers, covered in blood. And as you'd imagine, ambulance and police summoned and the officers got there first. They were plainly concerned when they got there. In summary, what happened is two officers got there straight away, one of whom pretty soon sprayed Mr Gilchrist with CS with little effect. There was then a taser deployment. That was ineffective. He was sprayed again. A third officer equipped with a taser got there very soon afterwards and used his taser on Mr Gilchrist again and for a total of 72 seconds discharge, which is a a very long time. You've given your summary of the taser system, I think it's worth bearing in mind that the standard discharge is 
five seconds. Yes, that's one cycle. That's one cycle. Yes. And indeed, the single cycle doesn't have to be delivered as one. That can be interrupted. If you want multiple cycles, effectively the trigger's got to be held and held down. And that's what happened for a total of 72 seconds over eight cycles by the deployment by that final officer. Which would cause tremendous pain over uh, one cycle, I think, was 29 seconds. 29 seconds. Yeah, absolutely. There was then a, there was then a gap and the taser was applied again. I think it's very important you use the word pain because the College of Policing describes all these symptoms such as muscular stiffening mm. and that sort of thing. But of course, they're consequent on pain. Yeah. That's the, the primary control mode of a, of a taser. There's also something important to say about how this officer who delivered the, the final taser shots did it. The taser's got a number of ways of delivering its charge. The ordinary one is that barbs on wires are deployed, which attach to clothing or skin, and the charge arcs between them through the body. But there's another way of applying the charge called angle drive, which is effectively putting the electrodes directly onto the skin, holding, it, in effect, the gun uh, to the skin or to the body. The last two delivery of charge and deliveries of charge here were an angle drive of 13 seconds. That's two and a bit cycles, mm. a gap of 27 seconds, and then a further single cycle of five seconds whilst Mr Gilchrist was prone, lying on the ground. And restrained and no threat to anybody. No threat to anybody. Stage. And this was all by the same officer? Yeah, that, that absolutely. Did yeah. And, and just to, so that people listening understand, that officer in the blog, I've called him C., the charges he delivered were seven seconds, five seconds, two seconds, reload, 29 seconds, as you've said, almost half a minute of, of constant delivery, five seconds, six, then um, a 13-second angle drive, then a five-second angle drive. This was absolutely determined. And the sort of delivery that you'd expect to see with somebody who was causing grave difficulties and presenting a real threat. Did the officer know at the time that the victim in this case, uh, the, the suspect, uh, was on the autistic spectrum? The first officers were met effectively with a mystery when they got there. They didn't know what the difficulty was. But family members had come out in the street and they'd spoken to the officers who arrived there first. And it was on the um, force information system then that, uh, if not the exact nature of Mr Gilchrist's difficulties, certainly that there were mental health difficulties mm. there. And the judgment makes it clear that so far as the final officer was concerned, he uh, knew about uh, the mental health difficulties. What duties or considerations ought that to have placed on the officers attending? Well, plainly, we go back to the, to the basic legal position that an officer's entitled to use reasonable force in prevention of crime or in self-defence. Long-standing common law position codified, as all operational officers know, in the 67 Act, Section 3. And, of course, PACE Section 117 extends the ability to use reasonable force to the exercise of powers under that Act. 
And of course, it's a reality of everyday policing that detention is often going to need the application of some physical force. And so the officers were entitled uh, to use force to detain Mr Gilchrist. There was no issue in this case that he needed to be detained and that to do so and to apply some force would have been proper. And I think that the the judge held that the uh, decision that Officer C's decision that the claimant was violent and needed to be detained was honestly made and reasonable. Yes, absolutely. However, to then use the taser for that amount of time. And, and she made she made that finding not just in respect of the CS officer and the first taser officer, but in respect of the third officer, Officer C as well. But yes, it was duration. It's about what what is reasonable force. Now, whether use of force is reasonable is, is an objective question. That is, it's going to be decided by the judge based on all the circumstances. It's not an assessment by a judge of whether the officer believed the force was reasonable at the time. Which is why cases like this are so fact-specific. They are fact-specific. Indeed, judges have have been realistic about recognising that officers have to make decisions in very difficult circumstances, have to make them very quickly, and in the arid and stale atmosphere of a courtroom, to, to revisit them as if they're mathematical problems is is probably a mistake. And an officer will certainly have a degree of leeway as to a range of reactions that could be reasonable. Yes, I mean, the College of Policing Guidance says that in using uh, CEDs or tasers, police officers should bear in mind the national decision model, which is yes. all well and good in a, in a guidance document. But if somebody's attacking you with a broken bottle outside a nightclub, you'd have to apply that very, very quickly. You would. And there's there's an argument of saying that the, the national decision model rather breaks down the natural threat analysis process that any human would go through in that situation, gather information and intelligence, assess threat and risk and develop a working strategy. All that's going to happen very, very quickly. What this is about is, is it a reasonable, justifiable reaction? And the, the College of Policing Guidance goes on to say that if information intelligence reveals the presence of a factor which can influence behaviour and alter response, police should take this into account when considering it. In this case, as we say, it was really the, the extent of use far beyond yeah. after it was needed. So, Tom, for an officer listening to this who polices yeah. volatile situations, who may find themselves under pressure and needing to make decisions where they could find themselves in court, being cross-examined by somebody like you, what advice would you give them? Well, all these cases turn on their own facts, and I'm not going to presume to give advice that could be fact-specific, but any action needs to be justifiable and it needs to be reasonable in all the circumstances. You have to take into account everything you know about the situation before you get there, everything that happens on the scene and anything that's been done. In this case, the first officer got there and found a man who was bloodied, who was mumbling, who was incoherent, who was spraying blood on police vans and on clothing as he got close to the officers and he used CS spray. The officer with him used taser. All that was held to be justifiable. They then got further information from family that the man had mental health difficulties. Third officer got there and used his taser for a very long time. As we know, he, he knew that gas and taser had been tried and were ineffective. It was ineffective when he used his taser and he kept trying. And in those circumstances, the court held that was not justifiable. Why? It wasn't effective and it was unlikely to be effective given what had gone before. 
bear in mind what's happened, bear in mind what you see. In the criminal situation, a jury would be told of anyone using force in this circumstance that if you do instinctively what's right, that's likely to be reasonable. Now, the test is slightly different uh, when we're talking about civil cases, not when we're talking about misconduct, when we're talking about civil cases. But that's uh, it's not a bad rule of thumb. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com.